I'd invite you to pray with me. Gracious God, uh, we thank you that you have captured all of these stories in scripture of your journey with so many people uh, who are just like us, uh, who bear uh, similar struggles and pain and joy and celebration. Um, Lord, it is such a gift uh, to have these uh, stories that have been handed down generation to generation that show us who you are, show us who we are, and invite us uh, to deepen our relationship with you all the more. So be with us as we turn to Hannah's story this day. Let her story speak to our own. It's in your name we ask these things. Amen. Hannah's story comes to us from uh, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 to 20. Let us listen to God's word for us this day. There was a certain man of Ramatham, a Zophite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroam, son of Eluhu, son of Tohu, son of Zuth, an Ephraimite. He had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. Peninnah had, no, had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his town to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah he gave a double portion, because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival used to provoke her severely, to irritate her, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk at Shiloh, Hannah rose and presented herself before the Lord. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made this vow, O Lord of hosts, if only you will look on the misery of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a male child, then I will set him before you as a Nazarite until the day of his death. He shall drink neither wine nor intoxicants, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying silently. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli thought she was drunk. So Eli said to her, How long will you make a drunken spectacle of yourself? Put away your wine. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman deeply troubled. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman. For I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation all this time. Then Eli answered, Go in peace. 
The God of Israel grant the petition you have made to him. And she said, let your servant find favor in your sight. Then the woman went to her quarters, ate and drank with her husband, and her countenance was sad no longer. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. They went back to the house of Ramah. Elkanah knew his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. In due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. She named him Samuel, for she said, I have asked him of the Lord. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. So our story today begins capturing the pain that we can cause one another when our relationships are unhealthy. We get inserted into the inner workings of the marriages Elkanah has with his two wives, Peninnah and Hannah. Elkanah loves Hannah, and scripture makes it clear he does not have the same love for Peninnah, leaving her jealous of Hannah. If we take time to imagine what life would have been like for Peninnah, living constantly aware that she does not hold her husband's love, we can imagine the ocean of shame and hurt she swam in each day. So out of her own pain and the jealousy it causes, Peninnah torments Hannah because she has been unable to bear children. While Peninnah has so many, scripture doesn't even bother telling us the number. Despite her husband's love for her, Hannah's condition and Peninnah's treatment of her leave her deeply grieved. While my sense is that pain would have always been there for both of these women, this trip to Shiloh seems to elevate it for both of them as well. When it is time for them to make their sacrifices before God, Peninnah watches Elkanah give Hannah a double portion because of his love for her. Hannah watches Peninnah line up with all her sons and daughters, each receiving a portion to offer up to God, while Hannah is left alone to make her offering to the God who has seemingly forgotten her. Oceans of pain, hurt, and shame that leaves these two women hurting. I'm aware that we have such a limited picture of their lives and how they each moved through that pain, how they each carried that hurt. Chances are, in the actual living of the story, they each were more complex, their actions and the motivations behind them more complicated than what history remembers. But here we have two distinct pictures of how we as humans respond to pain, hurt, and shame. Peninnah lashes out at Hannah, seeking to put her pain, hurt, and shame on another in order to get some relief from it. While that may work for her in the short term, there is a reason this same scene plays out year after year. It does not work in the long term displacing our pain instead of dealing with it directly at its source does not lead to healing. Hannah seems to take a different approach, internalizing and holding it all until she just can't anymore. Over the years, I have walked with so many people who find themselves in a spot like Hannah does in her own story. Swimming in oceans of pain, 
sometime caused by the brokenness of a core relationship or the consequence of an action taken by one they love, sometimes caused by a diagnosis or life change for which they were not planning nor expecting, sometimes caused by hopes unmet or dreams not realized, oceans of pain in which so much energy is spent simply trying to stay afloat. I have heard so many times from people living in realities reminiscent to Hannah's that there just are not words to pray. Whether it be because there is so much energy spent just trying to stay afloat that there is none left to pray, whether it be because they are so angry with God they cannot imagine turning toward him, whether it be because the tears come faster than the words, or the emotions are so complex, there are not words enough to name them. Sometimes, there just are not words to give voice to our prayers. I imagine all those years of Hannah weeping and fasting in the midst of her family's annual pilgrimage to Shiloh, that God is watching over her, holding her, as she slogs through the pain, keeping her afloat as she swims in that ocean of hurt and shame. There are not words, no spoken prayer, and yet I am sure that the God who knows the numbers of the hairs on her head also knows her heart and is faithfully holding it, her, until she is ready to turn to God once more. There is something prayerful in her weeping, in her fasting. There is something germinating in this fallow season, a preparation happening for what is to come. She does not have the words, yet God has her heart, has her, even when she is not able to hold onto God. Just this week, I got to hear the testimony of one who had been swimming in an ocean of pain and hurt, unable to find words to talk to the God who had been with them their whole lives long, as they were unable to make sense of a reality they never imagined could be their own. There were months and months of weeping and wailing, of not being able to eat, not being able to find words to pray, not being able to make sense of what was and is. They did not have the words, yet what became clear is that God did have their heart. And in time, all of that unspoken prayer led to peace, to understanding, to words of hope they were once again able to pray to their God. God holds on to Hannah until she is able to once again reach out to God. She rises from that table of weeping, that plateful of food she could not stomach, and makes her way to the temple, makes her way to the house of God. Even there, the words are held within, 
And yet she pours out her soul to the Lord, who hears her prayer and responds. Having bared her soul, she returns with hope in her heart of what God will do, and eats and drinks and is sad no longer. Y'all, when it comes to our lives of prayer, our lives of faith, there are no formulas. Hannah's story does not reveal to us that if we pray A and do B, then C will be our result. Stories like Hannah's are meant to reveal to us more about what it means to be human and what it means to belong to our God. Today, we are invited to ask ourselves, how do we carry our hurts, our pain, our shame as we move through our lives? Could we trust that God will meet us wherever we are, however we are? Might we trust that even when we do not have words to pray, that God has our hearts, has us? Might we trust that God will hold onto us, our pain and our hurt, until we are ready to turn to God? That our weeping, our fasting, our silent forbearance, our just getting by, all can be prayerful in their own right. That something germinates in the fallow seasons of our own souls. Today, in this time of reflection, you will have some space to pray. You may not have words, and that is more than okay. Know in this time that God has your heart, has you. Hannah and her family made an annual pilgrimage to Shiloh generations before there was a temple built in Jerusalem. Their ancestors now pilgrimage to Jerusalem, and many come to the remnants of the temple that was destroyed some 2,000 years ago to pray at its western wall. Over a million pieces of paper with prayers scrawled on them are stuck into the crevices of that wall each year as Hannah's sons and daughters come to offer up their hearts to God as well. Today, as you feel led, you can write your papers on the paper provided and bring it forward to offer them up to God as you stick them in the wall we have recreated here. As I said to the kids, if there are no words to write, just hold up your heart to God from your seat or at the wall. Blank pieces of paper are welcome here as well. It's important for you to know that no one will read these prayers, as the unspoken ones are often the ones closest to our hearts. These paper prayers will be taken and burnt like the offerings made in Hannah's time. So let us enter this time of reflection and prayer.